Welcome. Thank you for coming to the Nidus Anarchy series. I think you're our the official first third-party interview, so I'm pretty excited because oh. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I've just never been committing the time to it. So thank you for coming because this is awesome. This is what I want to be doing. I want to be talking. Like, people have got to be tired of hear, listening to me talk. <laughs> so I'd much nah. rather be hearing from other people that are out there doing really awesome stuff. Um, so with that, uh, Josh Hammer from Oracle, your field chief cloud security architect. Yep. What does that mean? Yeah, the, the field part is probably the first part to explain. Um, so I work in the North America Cloud Engineering Organization. Um, and basically, we are the ones that work directly with customers to basically help them adopt Oracle Cloud infrastructure, uh, which I will call OCI going forward. Okay. Um, and my role is to kind of help, I, I guess, structure our our, our kind of story on how to secure and manage the cloud. So if you think about shared responsibility model, there's the customer side and then there's Oracle side. Um, our team works on, you know, explaining Oracle side. Obviously, it's an important part, but the most important part to me is where the rubber meets the road and it's where the customers need to do their spot. So uh, my team is really the ones that are kind of spearheading architectures, design paradigms, patterns, even technology to help customers more quickly and more securely adopt Oracle Cloud. Um, and it's kind of cool because at Oracle, our approach is different because we're a little late. So it's about trying to be a bit more prescriptive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've all been consultants and the best question is there's 10 different ways and I'll give you all of them. And that's a billable thing. We're trying to say like, you should do it this way. If you don't want to, okay, these are the things, but we'll give you like a couple of ways that we recommend. Um, and that's okay. been a really fun thing. So, so before Oracle, you were at yeah. AWS before that, right? Yep. So yeah. how, what made you make the jump from AWS to Oracle? Ah, uh, yeah, that was or a back to great Oracle, question. I <laughs> yeah, I did. I, yeah, I was so so. I left Oracle during cloud, the first cloud. Um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't a fan of it at the time, and uh, Gen two was just starting. Okay. Um, and I was working with a few folks that were trying to really build a cloud security story for Oracle, and it wasn't about it was about like how to get audit reports going, like you know the the, the basic stuff, like even data center visits which, you know, we're like, it'll eventually have to happen, um, you know, the, with the right to audit that's come out. But I, I realized that we weren't getting much traction and I wanted to actually double down on cloud security architecture. So I saw this role at AWS and I applied for it and I got it. And it was uh, in their professional services organization, which I found was oh. rather entertaining. <laughs> um, so I was there for a year actually working with like CPG kind of, uh, you know, consumer product group companies, uh, financial services, um, telecom, really helping them get onto AWS. So like mostly hands-on implementation. I had to write Java again. That was really bad for me. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're part of the anti-Java crew. I'm going to get like a patch made. I'm going to mail them out to everybody. I will. I, I, will uh, I had to write. I'm like, I need someone to review my code because I, I mean, it works, but I have no idea what I've done wrong here. Yeah. Um, That's what people are like, do you know Java? I'm like, technically. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, I don't want to use it. And it's just good enough is all I'm going to say. Yeah. And then like after a year, um, I started doing a lot of work with partners. Um, actually, we you met Tim through that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I uh, one of the companies I was working for was using Evident IO. And we started to see all these really cool like cloud security vendors coming out in the security space, trying to help customers with configuration or with operating systems. Or even I've seen some do crazy stuff with directories again. Because uh, those still exist and managing workstations, <laughs> so I was like, I wanted to go play with those guys because to me the those the partners the the software we at Oracle we call yeah. them ISVs, but the people like that are building cool security software 
and then trying yeah. to get it to work with the cloud. So I worked with those guys for about two years with like Palo Alto Networks, um, oh, cool. Checkpoint, yeah, um, Evident, uh, which was eventually acquired by them. Um, so uh, Trend Micro, who's surprisingly like, I, I actually am very impressed with their agent. Um, and I have been for a long time since I've been there. Um, yeah. And then what happened is uh, a bunch of the people that I used to work with at Oracle reached out and said, hey, we're trying to build out that kind of customer side of the shared responsibility model stuff. Do you want to come over and help uh, and kind of build out that team? And I'm like, cool. Like, I like to build. I was building some stuff there, but here I can build a team. Never did that before. So I figured I'd come so over. So what and do you think about Oracle Cloud now? Um. You know, I'm I'm happily surprised by it. Um, okay. it. You know what I you know you're an identity person. I think if you've written uh, AWS policy, like you don't, no one, everyone loves JSON, um, yeah. and you can kind of parse it to figure out. But I looked at Oracle's policy language, which was what what, what actually was what incentivizes me to come over. My the guy that was hiring me is like, play with it first before you come over. Okay. Um, so he gave me an account, and I was playing with him like. Oh my God, the policy language is structured like a SQL statement. I don't really know why Oracle picked a SQL language, um, but um, <laughs> it's like allow this group or you know principal type to the and then the verb types like FUD style, followed yeah. by the scope, and then followed by um, whatever the the actual detailed resources are that you can condition with a where clause. And I'm like, I can read this and I can understand it. Auditing it's a whole separate story. I can read it and I can explain it. And I really like that. Um, okay. And then I thought they did one thing really well, which was like, if you've dealt with AWS, um, since there was nothing there, they're like, we need to provide guidance. And I was like able to make stuff prescriptive. And we've done a lot to basically not charge for what we consider like fundamental security, yeah. which for Oracle to me was a huge shift. I mean, well, they're um, definitely making a big push on trying to get clients ramped into their cloud offering. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I was working with a project with OA, OIM, OAM, um, some Air Force stuff where they're all Oracle Cloud everything. And it's like, that was my first real foray into playing with Oracle Cloud. I've been in AWS forever. So it's like, it works, but it seems like it's a lot more overhead to get simple things done. Is it just because I don't know what I'm doing yet? Uh, it's a mix, right? I think... Part of what I, and this is kind of, and it's funny, I've actually seen that with certain contracts and other projects. To help with that, uh, my my team, we built something called the Center for Internet Security uh, OCI Landing Zone. Mm -hmm. um, and we created, like the biggest problem with OCI is like if you don't want to operate as the administrator, which I mean is easy for you not to operate yeah. on in your personal world, but not works in reality. Um, the roles and permissions, they had some samples, but they weren't rich yet. We have better examples now. Um, so we actually built that out. We built out that kind of structure you needed with those policies and we test to make sure those operational users can do what they want to do. So once we did, once I've done that, I felt like it became a lot easier. Um, and then the other thing I needed to learn is that for some reason, all of our Linux, uh, OSs, which is where I ran into it, we always yeah. disable like everything, but SSH on the freaking firewall. So I always need to remember to like disable, you know, 443, 8080, yeah. whatever, uh, 1521 to, to, I'm like, what? it's, it's weird. It's always that way, but is there any migration scripts or anything from, or people like they want to move from AWS or Azure into Oracle? Like, do you, Oh, look, you have these CDKs, you throw them through this awesome Python script. And now you got this magic thing that creates everything for you in Oracle. I would love that. I, I, I think that would be <laughs> sick to do. Um, I, I'm, dude, I, I'm gonna here give you that is, one. You run with it, say it's your idea, and let me know yeah. when it works, and I'll come test it out. Well, for I, you. I know some people working on trying to solve the uh, arbitrage cloud problem. 
like mm -hmm. arbitraging cost across cloud and then having the ability to seamlessly migrate it. Um, so like figure out who has the cheaper of the service in the region, whatever it is, and then run that stuff there and then keep, you know. So I think, I think the future of that is going to be leveraging all the clouds at once and migrating your instances or clusters like Kubernetes clusters, if you're even more that dynamic, to just spinning up those clusters in Google, Oracle, Azure, whatever, based on the time of day, the usage load and all that kind of stuff dynamically. So this way it's like right now, Oracle's the cheapest to run this stuff because mm -hmm. for some reason in Japan, it's cheaper for them to run. But then once we hit primetime 9 a.m., we're going to flip over to Amazon. And if provision and deprovision and move those DNS records around, I think now you'll have a massively flexible, scalable and highly available redundant system. So you don't have to worry about, oh, Amazon went down. Well, Netflix is just down. It's like, that's not acceptable. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's exactly it. I mean, I think that, that is the dream, I think, and that's, um, I'm starting to see parts of it, you know, in, in organizations that have built overlays kind mm -hmm. of approaches, right? They try to overlay the API integration. Um, we use Terraform, which I guess will now be called Open Tofu, um, if you haven't seen the news on that. But I have not. I, when did that happen? Oh, yeah. So Terraform and HashiCorp, they, they, they tried to make go, I think, long story short, now that there's a public version, there's an open source version of Terraform called Open Tofu. Okay. Um, because I think Terraform was trying to kind of consolidate it into a, a non-open source project. So that's happened. So now when you call it Terraform, you have to call it Open Tofu. It's taken oh. over by the Linux Foundation. So, you know, it'll be, other than the naming, will be very well cared for going forward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you just have to, as long as they don't mess with my Mop Tofu when I order it, I'll think I'll be okay. Um, good to go. Yeah. So let's go back to stuff. some old crazy shit. Yeah. You used to work at Mycroft. Yes. Yes. So I, which what is was your experience kind of like there? Because I think to me, Mycroft is like the breeding ground of all the DGen IDM people. They, we, for some <laughs> reason, we all started there at one or We all touched there at one point. You know, everyone knows Sam. Everyone knows John. It's like we all yep. had this weird thing that happened to us at Mycroft. So what was your experience like there? I, I kind of, I think Mycroft was actually a, it was the most interesting experience of any company I worked at. It had like... <laughs> It was always trying to do everything. That's what I thought was kind of cool. Like we were trying to do development. We were trying to build products and offer services. I remember we were, that was the first place I started using AWS cloud because we were trying to run a managed service for like a bunch. So I think it was very interesting, but it was also almost like a family. So yeah. like you, you could watch like the dysfunctional fights go on too, which was <laughs> so amazing. It's just like, oh, yeah. oh my God, it's mom and dad, you know? <laughs> They're fighting again. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I learned a lot there. The people there are just so great. Like, um, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I still see Sam, I haven't seen John in forever, but every conference I generally will see Sam flying one way or the other <laughs> coming in or out doing like he's always does. Was, um, and then I, I was out in California and my cousin, he races motorcycles. So we're out there in Ventura. Oh. We're just hanging out bullshit. And, um, and then you know, I'm talking to him and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's funny is this guy I used to work with, uh, he's big into motorcycle racing now. Yeah, and I think he's like sponsoring that. some teams or something. And he's like, oh, it's like, oh, who is it? I might know him. I was like, oh, his name's John Freeman. He's like, wait, <laughs> this guy and just pulls up on his phone. He's like, oh yeah, we, we, we work with him all the time. I'm like what? Like wow. this is bizarre. So yeah. So like it came full circle, like all of a sudden 10 years later, John Freeman's back in my family's life. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh man, I remember he got like the Ford GT40. I think I was so jealous of that. I think oh, that yeah. that yeah. Oh man, he, yeah. Ferraris yeah. and motorcycle racing are like his thing. Yeah, 
It's so uh, now in the future cool. sense, where do you see cloud security is going to go? Like, what do you see? What do you think is going to be the biggest threat in the next three to five years? And how can mm. people start preparing for that now? Huh. Well, I mean, people, I think, are the biggest threat still. Um, so, I'll, but, you know, I, what, I guess what I see, and this is like the thing that scares me the most, is this, um, how do I say this? Organizations that are still using kind of somewhat legacy style review processes mm -hmm. in the cloud. The kind okay. of, you know, and I think the inability to accelerate their adoption is is the problem. And the other thing that I'm seeing, and this is where like I talk to a lot of like organizations, there's a learning curve. And I think where the biggest problems is going to come is that there are people and, you know, we use the con, a lot of people use the console. I use the console sometimes when I'm lazy yeah. that are just console jockeys and they will not write a line of code, will not do anything. And I think that is going to be the fear to me. Like I'm basically afraid that someone's going to type something into chat GPT because they don't know how to do something. It's going to give yep. them some, some code. They're going to execute it and they're not actually going to know what their code did in their environment because they always oh, use yeah. the console and it's going to like. I think it's funny that you say that because I think you just touched on something I've thought about for a while now. So remember like there was like Google poisoning where basically you go out and just make a bunch of garbage spam sites that all have <laughs> yeah. the same link. They're the same type of bogus article or bogus statement that you want to be true. And then Google just because it's out there and so prolific, then Google just says, oh, this must be true and ranks it high. And it's the, if someone did it as a joke. I forget what it was back in the day, but they basically said like George Washington wasn't the first president or something. And it became truth because just so many sites said so. And ChatGPT and all these AI models are just learning off data that's out there. So I think AI poisoning is going to be something that's going to be the next on the radar that that's, no one's even talking about right now is just poisoning the data sets that are out there for these AI models to learn from. So now all of a sudden you're like, hey, look, if I feed it all this misinformation, AI is going to dump it out. People are idiots. They're just going to copy and paste it like you're saying and not run it at all. And all of a sudden, this code is going to have some weird little injection in there that you don't even know about. Import some library that's got some vulnerability that's known and was promoted on purpose. So this way it gets plastered everywhere. And now they have a bot that can just go around and do whatever they want and yeah. be as malicious as hell. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing it like you see, like, I love that, you know, VS Code has the what autopilot or whatever to help you code out. But I, I mean, it's just, yeah. And and but I've seen good uses of it too. I've seen uh, yeah. uh, a lot of like error messages, like using AI to interpret error messages that you get from Java. Those would also be helpful. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then telling you how to mitigate them. I uh, we, uh, one of the guys I work with did the demo of that in uh, in it. But yeah, it's I'm I'm just I, I'm afraid that a lot of people don't want to commit to learn it and want to bring their legacy practices. Like I think it's like yeah. it's kind of like when we went from mainframe to distributed. Like we had to change a lot of things. And I think this is honestly, to me, the cloud is going back to mainframe. And I think as identity folks, it's actually kind of soothing um, okay. because mainframe was like a monolith, but it gave you a universal centralized identity control, which the cloud does, right? It tells you the language, you know, we, we had to rack effort TSS, but you got forced to, to work in this model with these restrictions, with these controls. And I think, there's something as a as an identity person you can kind of quickly glom onto as like, oh, this is great. I can actually really control this and really scope it the way I've always wanted to. Whereas like a distributed system, it's like, please, you like we I mean, how many like random authorization tools products were like Axiomatics and Bit was it Bitku or whatever mm -hmm. that never just took off. So every app yeah. wrote their own and, and you rolled it in. So I think 
I think it's going to be a, a an interesting so, space with the change. Do you think the future is going to be more of the same of consolidated single source of identity, or do you think we're going to move more towards decentralized self-sovereign identity? Uh, I probably would say a bit more of the centralized. Dis- I, I'd say it's going to be more di- more of the distributed sovereign identity. Okay. But I think we're going to start to see. I mean, my this is unrelated to where, or I mean, this is not outside of Oracle's opinion, but. I honestly think that eventually governments are going to step up in the identity space. Okay. You know, so? well, I mean, and I think like, if you think way, about, what do I need to be paranoid about? <laughs> well, I don't know about scary, but I, here's the biggest thing, right? Like think about banking, right? Mm-hmm. Every bank decides to maintain a record of me, you know, and at the end of the day, probably the only thing that they got right all the time because they had to, to run my credit check was my social security number. And, you yep. know, they might have like my middle initial or they might have my middle name, depending on what's there. I think the government could kind of resolve that, like the U.S. Postal Service being a universal identity provider, because I think there's like a lot of stuff that we do with the government where we have to interact with them that it's really hard for them to identify you. So I would really like them to step up in the digital identity space. And this isn't for enterprise. This is for like just personal operating and yeah, personal use. Like revamp SSN altogether. Like you can't change it if it gets jacked, then you're screwed for life. Like that's ridiculous. That's so antiquated. Yeah, I, I would like, you know, like, you know, you know, public private key infrastructure or something like that. I don't know if that's yeah. the right approach, but something where, you know, I have this, this is me, I keep it with me and it, it validates me. And I think it makes it easier then for like, you know, banks, they don't have to hold SSN anymore, right? If they need yep. to go pull it. Um, and then I can control who has access to it. I can dynamically generate these off of my shared key. You know, you I can create yep. my own keychain to manage it. And I have more say over not only just my identity, but my data then too. So I think I'd like to see us go there. I'd like to see our, you know, I'd like to see Apple win in a way, you know, like, all right, our phone is our identity, which also scares me when someone steals my phone or if I lose (laughs) it or if I forget it. But, you know, that's probably more me than, you know, my driver's license number. Um, Yeah, definitely a lot more personal. Yeah. Um, I don't know about organizations, though. I think, you know, I my, my view on identities for organizations is eventually Google will win. Have you ever worked um, with blockchain tech at all? Like we've done a little years? bit, a little okay. bit, not for identity. I've seen it used for a ver- I've actually seen it used for DNS, which I thought was actually a really good idea. Um, okay. But I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it much in the identity space. I've seen it used for like you know, cr- creating guaranteed transaction service kind yeah. of stuff for them. And obviously mining. Why? What have you seen? Uh, oh, well, for me, I'm uh, going all in on decentralized identity for the win. Mm. And like, but just like you said, like you came up with the whole like, oh, you think it'll probably something like public private key infrastructure, you know, mm. you just have to sign a message to prove that you're the ownership of this thing that you're doing. Yeah. So well, that's all web three wallets. That's exactly how they all work. And they're all yeah. disposable. And they're free. So you don't need to spend 50 bucks on a YubiKey. You know, that's also, if you forget it, well, you're screwed. Or we yeah. need to have everyone in the agency have one. Well, now your cost just ramps up ridiculously. But at the same time, you can have 30 of them. So you can have one per account if you want to. You can have one that's actually tied to just a hardware wallet. It's not even in software. And you can have lock that thing in a vault. And that's the only place it exists. So you could, your level of security is really up to you as to how secure you need your private key to be and what you're going to sign it for. You can do multi-factor, multi-signature. So five people have to sign a transaction to approve mm-hmm. it to go forward. You can do all kinds of fun stuff like that too. So, I think wow. once um, I think once use cases come out and show what can be done with it, I think a lot more people will be more interested in that in that point. But I think we're at the very very beginning 
not only think we're in the adoption curve, I think we're in mm. just a pure education, trying not to freak everyone out curve. Yeah, I, I just I just feel like we are going to end up in a, I mean, a very, you know, I'll go with James Cameron, the, the James Cameron approach. I gave you my opinion on AI when I made the Terminator in 1984. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's like Minority Report. I think, I th like I said, I, I think application services and, and as we interact with um, entities, I, I think, you know, the, the block, chain and, and, and a web wallet would work beautifully. I think there is going to be like this universal digital identity to track people. And I mean, mm -hmm. you can see it in other countries that are a bit more uh, oh, yeah. autocratic than we are. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's gonna, but I think honestly, I, I'm, I, I think there's like a, a somewhat of a need for it. I mean, you can even see it with like your cable providers, right? Like they, they are for the most part, your doorway in or whoever your you know provider is. And they have a lot of your search history that and they've you know there's been a lot of fights about you know how much of your identity can they share uh what yeah. can they sell about your search history um so then i guess vpn services are going to kick up too so yeah it's uh pretty crazy it's, it's going to be an interesting world yeah and ai so <laughs> do you think ai is going to be the end of the world or do you think it'll be harnessed and used for good uh uh, that is the that is the <laughs> I, I guess if i was dr evil like i need the zillion dollar question um I'm I'm hopeful because okay. I'm going to say I'm optimistic. I think AI, at least, and this depends, assuming we can figure out how to like create some sort of like shared responsibility model across the countries, kind of the way we're trying with the moon. Like, mm -hmm. hey, it's a shared resource. If we can develop some sort of like core principles, you know, for it and figure out ways to embed them, um, I think we'll be okay. I think if we start to let it run rampant, it could be pretty pretty scary um yeah. i think we have i think we have time before you know it actually takes over i'm you know but so this comes to know, like man. a morals and ethics thing and i think this is interesting because yeah. in it we never really had to worry about morals and ethics because it was just ones and zeros that either the thing works or it doesn't work we're just providing a service to make things easier and now with all this ai and tracking and government you know manipulation and being involved and tying to these corporations all of a sudden now ethics and morals come to play in it. And I think for a lot of us that are just, you know, it freaks us out because like for me for personally, like I don't want to think about morals and ethics. I just want to do the thing I have to do and make it work and move on with my day. But now yep. it's like, it's all of a sudden we have to make decisions. So like, let's say, and I don't think Oracle is doing this, but I'm just using an example since you work there. Let's say Oracle's, you know, Hey, they're about to create some huge AI training model and using it specifically to target U.S. citizens for government use for finding them for whatever reasons because they're breaking the law, like the jaywalking thing in China. It's like, oh, you know what? They want the government goes to Larry and says, "Hey, we want a system though we can put cameras everywhere, and if people jaywalk, we can hit them up for twenty bucks. That's how we're going to make back this thirty-three trillion dollars that we're we're debting out on it." Or you know, Larry's like, "Boom, we're gonna make billions <laughs> off of this. I can get myself another island. Let's set this shit up." And so he goes full bore on running this thing. Are you on board with setting that up because it's your job or do you leave or do you uh, try to change it from the inside? You know, look, I, I think it's, I, I think I've actually dealt with that question. This is okay. where I'm going to be very cautious, but I, I did express an opinion regarding uh, something back in the day about what I was not willing to continue working on if we, we did do it. So I think I would, yeah. I would probably speak with my, you know, luckily I think in, in the areas we are, it's easier for me to find a new job than to try to fix it from the inside. I okay. think, it depends on the organization. I think certain organizations do allow you to be to change from the inside. And 
believe it or not, Oracle has changed uh, from obviously what it used to be when it would just sell the database license and kind of strong arm people. And now it's much, much better. Um, and, and, you know, every we work so much better and customers like us more. So there is change and it can be used, but I just, I would probably be more quick to just step out. I, I think yeah. it would be, you know, but the other difference comes is if there's an opportunity to improve something. And yeah. I've had that opportunity with like, as we're working with Cerner to, to provide feedback on architecture and security guidance. And in that case, I'm glad that, that I was able to step in and help. So I, I would, you know, if they, if they said, we're going to just do this, do it. But if they asked if, can you, can we do this so that it's not going to just, I mean, we obviously, everyone wants to make money, but we're not going to destroy if they, if they asked that how, but yeah. yeah, that would be kind of my approach. I would, if there was like, oh no, we're going to do it this way. We're going to give the data to everybody. I, I would probably, you know, walk out, but I mean, with the government, heck probably no, I wouldn't, I would never know. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, is there anything you want to plug? You have anything cool you want to talk about or anything? Otherwise, uh, you know, I, well, I, I I actually will. <laughs> um, so so I'm actually wearing my own UGG shirt, which um, okay. it's actually really cool. So I think the other thing, and we were talking about multi-cloud, right, running across clouds. So uh, yeah. ONUG has its fall conference coming up, um, okay. and we're actually doing a multi-cloud capture the flag event. Oh wow! Uh, there. So, so it's going to have off, what's uh, Onug? Let's just start with that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Onug is the open networking user group. Um, so they made a big splash. I can't remember when developing like a lot of SD WAN and uh, Wi-Fi architecture. They're actually looking into five G. They came out of the networking space, obviously, with networking, but they've made a really big push into cloud now. And so like uh, Microsoft, Oracle, AWS are all members, as well as you get like the security vendors of you know I think. Uh, I think Fortinet's a member, uh, Cisco, and it's just really cool. Uh, and what we're really trying to do here is, you know, help customers understand that multi-cloud is complicated. And what we yeah. built there is something called um, the uh, uh, Cloud Security Notification Framework, which is an open sure. standard on help how to help you map like a cloud trail event to a Oracle audit event, like giving a unified taxonomy to communicate and that what we did is we built an app for it so there's a is conference i would capture check and co consolidate logs across multiple clouds into a uh, single stream nope because oh. we realized that you're <laughs> never like, going to do awesome. that <laughs> well, but that's a problem like what we realize is like and this is what we we're like oh we can write our own like here's the problem cloud providers are not going to change what they're doing right it's too right. hard for them to change their audit and honestly there's a lot of investment in collecting those logs already so what we did is we created a visualization layer on top of it okay. so that you can look at the records under the same like lens. So basically in, in Splunk, it's called a field alias, but this mapping allows you to basically say that like, you know, uh, authenticated principle is resource in, in an ONUG, it's just resource.actor. But authenticated principle would also be resource ID in, in Oracle and anything else or in Java. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's really easy. So you can build searches that look at, you know, I want to look at everything Josh did. I can just put in his UID going back to IM and I can see oh, wow. every record across every cloud as long as I'm sharing that That's UID. Cool. And that tool exists now? Or yeah, it's actually in the, or? uh, so there's a Splunk plugin called, uh, the Splunk, uh, I'll What's give you guys the link Cisco for plugin. adding it in. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and we're using it as part of it, but I think it's great. Oracle's been really invested. We we actually um, they they I get to spend my time working with them. Uh, we've had mm -hmm. some members of our product team help. I think it's a really great to me. That's going to be the thing, right? Multi cloud. We need to 
orchestrate. We need to, you know, do the normal stuff, detect, monitor, you know, and prevent. And so detection is honestly the the group. When's this happening? Oh, it's going to be fall, October 23rd and 24th in New York. So uh, oh, I'll send I'm you. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll yeah. come out. Why not? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, there. It's a really cool conference, and I think if you sign up for the um, capture the flag event, we will be yeah. doing also cyber jeopardy, uh, or okay. cybersecurity jeopardy. Um, uh, there will be one question about my the per uh, my favorite person in computer history, who's Grace Hopper, uh, because I went to Vassar's, but so that'll give you one clue on one of the questions. <laughs> you go, um, but yeah, it's gonna be in New York, uh actually in Hudson Yard. So it's, you know, if you're taking okay, the train cool. in, it's right there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and if you sign up for the CTF, I think you get a discounted ticket to participate. Oh, cool. So, and nice. it's going to be at night while we'll beers and, and pizza and uh, hopefully be a lot of fun. And you, cool. uh, then you get to play with Splunk too. Splunk, Splunk and worldwide technology. Well, actually worldwide technology is sponsoring it. They're actually building out the lab with us and everything. So okay. yeah, they're one of my previous clients as well. I helped uh, yeah. kind of move them down uh, kind of a PAM strategy that they were working at back then. So. Yeah. I hope cool, you man. should get Tim on to talk PAM. That's not a bad idea. Well, you know what? That's you know what you just started a trend. You're nominating yeah. the next person that we should talk to. All right. I actually got another. <laughs> I, and I got I got I got a lot of vendors that I've worked with that I'm sure would love to talk to you about this cool. stuff. Like yeah, it I mean, is I, cool. What's well, uh? I love having open talks and forums about this stuff because to me it's fun and exciting and it's more fun just to yeah. chill and not be like, oh, this is our product and here's the sales pitch. Like that shit's lame. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh, check out our CIS landing zone too. For if you are using Oracle Cloud, check it out. Um, okay. Google CIS landing zone OCI. It's open source. Um, we've just been cranking on, and we got certified by the Center for Internet Security as an assessor and as a configuration. So we're very happy to like be uh, the the open source arm of Oracle here. So I'm, I'm enjoying that part. I like I like to contribute back, and we actually take feedback and issues from the cloud. We people have actually written code for us, and we import. Oh, by the way, we use tabs, not four spaces. So if you are contributing to Python, please tabs only. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate right. it. This has been awesome. Had a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, I'll see you around on in the world somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, let let's sync up next time you're in New York, and I'll let you know. Well, tell me coming into the city, we'll meet up. Cool, man. I'll see you around. Right. See you later. Thanks. Thanks so appreciate much. It. Bye. Bye.